0: All right, welcome everybody. Uh, just to set the scene for those <clears throat> who are joining us uh, on video, we are at the OIHEL, at the BAVA CHUDEB is and we've gathered here, who's we? Alumni of the Parenting from the Inside Out course, uh, graduates, people who have taken the course. We have gathered here at the OIHEL as a group to, uh, to Davin for our families and to unite and strengthen each other as, uh, as parents and maybe to get a little bit of a refresher on some of the things that we've spoken about in the course. Some people took uh, the course uh, they just finished a month or two ago. Others finished already uh, maybe I think four or five months ago. Uh, some of us are in the monthly chizuk group. I want to encourage anyone who uh, is on the fence whether or not to join the monthly chizuk group for those who are graduates. This is only for alumni, people who have taken the course, but those who've done the six weeks, we have a, a monthly group where we, we meet on a Zoom once a month and there's a, an accompanying WhatsApp group, a WhatsApp chat where... Um, where we can ask questions and share parenting experiences between, from one monthly Zoom meeting until, until the next. Uh, okay, so... What I'm gonna do here is sort of like a mini version of what we do in the monthly chizek uh, group. But if you don't wanna be on camera, don't step anywhere behind here. That's why I took out these two chairs, so. But the food is over over here, and the table's over here, so you should be safe getting food and eating without ending up in the shot. So what I want to do is sort of similar to the format that we do in the monthly Chizuk group, but much shorter. Um, usually those are ninety minutes, but I'm going to do this a lot shorter. Uh, no- normally the format is I share with you something, an idea. Uh, that I uh, have been thinking about regarding parenting, and then we'll do a little uh, Q&A, back and forth interaction. So we're going to do the same type of thing, but a little bit uh, more compact. Uh, this week <coughs> is the beginning of a new Sefer. We just finished Sefer Bereshus, and we're going into Sefer schmeiß. And the name of the Parsha is Shmois. The whole Sefer is called Shmais, and this Parsha this week is called Shmais. And Schmeis means names. Now, it's interesting, the content of Sefer Shmais as a narrative, as a story, is all about Golis and Gula. It's about slavery and redemption. In fact, in English, the English is really really taken from the Greek, they call the book Exodus, which makes a lot of sense, because Exodus means the exit. So it makes sense that we call the book, the English name makes sense, Exodus. It's about going out of Egypt. It's about the Exodus. But uh, the Hebrew name is a little bit funny. It's called Shemais. Why? Because in the first verse of, of, of the first Parsha, It happens to mention, these are the names of the Jews who went down into Egypt. So because it happens to mention, these are the names. Oh, names, that's the first unique word of the the first verse, of the first parsha. So we're stuck with that title, Shmois, names. But Shmois, names, doesn't really, seemingly, doesn't really describe what the book is about. The book is about redemption. So what gives? So uh, I'll tell you something. (laughs) I don't know if people... Uh... Tyvel, did you post that meme that we made yesterday? You put it on status? On the WhatsApp status? Well, you sent it out individually? Uh-huh, okay. By the way, what's the number for the WhatsApp? For the Soul Words WhatsApp? Do you know it? Malpe. No? 516... You should just mention it so people can subscribe to it. Five one six four nine five. 5164953021. and then you get the broadcast and you get all types of nice stuff and there's a status and all that stuff and yeah post that on status um, so we, we put out so did you post where did you post it on the women's uh group or where did you post it you sent it out as a broadcast yeah okay so then everyone should have gotten it so if you have your soul words uh, broadcast so you could Pull up that uh, meme that we sent out yesterday, and uh, without repeating it word for word, it was saying something about um, one of, I'm going to paraphrase my own words, (laughs) one of the hallmarks of, of spiritual growth is when you begin to identify with yourself as a soul so much that you can actually realize that many of the things you chose to do in your life that you thought were in order to make you happy were actually self-betrayal. Which is a funny thing because I thought I was doing this for me. In fact, you know, I thought I was flouting what uh but if you don't want to be in the shot, don't walk behind me. <laughs> Just say quickly. Okay. All right. Just warning, fair warning. This is the splash zone, like at SeaWorld, but it's in back of me. It's funny, because sometimes we do things where we think, well, this, I got to do this for me. You know, uh, I don't care what they say. I don't care what the rules are. I don't care what I'm supposed to do. This is what I need to do right now for me. And then as you grow, you look back and you realize, you know, who, who was I really doing that for? Um... Was that really what I wanted? Was that really what hit the spot? Did that really satisfy me in a, in a soul-nourishing way? Or was that a distraction? And, and I understand I have to be compassionate on myself why I needed the distraction at the time. But at the end of the day, I have to even though I'm not condemning myself, I have to be honest and say it was a distraction. It wasn't really what I really needed. It didn't really scratch the itch. And so I, I realized that many of the things that I've done that I thought were in order to make me happy were really acts of self-betrayal. And it's a very uh, difficult to accept that, that these things were self-betrayal, because there's a mourning process, there's a grieving process, where you let go of things that you thought were for you, and you realize that I don't even like these things. It's not even really who I am. And it's, it's the process of grieving over letting go of those things that we thought were making us happy can be so such an intense feeling of loss that it can even be easier sometimes to cling to a false self-concept <laughs> to justify, no, no, I, I really do like those things. No, that is what I like because it's easier to just you know move the goalposts and say, no, that's who I really am. Than it is to say, no, it's not who I am. I missed the mark. I totally cheated myself. I betrayed myself. And I got to do different things now if I'm really going to nurture myself. So that's why um, when I'm making mistakes, when I'm making wrong choices, it's probably not that important. You know, if you're trying to guide me, if you're trying to help me. Uh, it's probably not that important that you tell me what I've done is wrong. I probably, on some level, know it's wrong already. um, But I've justified it because I think I need it. I need it. So it's probably not so helpful to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. What's probably more helpful is to to remind me who I am. Remind me who I really am. And encourage me. Encourage me to be true to myself. And then intuitively, I'll make better choices. Intuitively, I'll choose things that are conducive with my soul's purpose in this world. Uh, Intuitively, I'll understand that there are a lot of things that are fun distractions or numbing distractions. But at the end of the day, they're not really conducive to why I came down here. They're not really, they don't serve me. The real me. The real me. So that that was the the meme that we sent out. Maybe we'll... uh, yeah, for it. you read it yesterday. Yeah. yeah, did you understand all that from? I read it really quickly. You read it really but... quickly. Okay, but that's what it, that's what it was saying. Anyways, that was the I gave my own uh, explanation of my own uh, words. Okay. Anyways, I'm sorry, the beginning of that. What? I read that too you read the meme yesterday. Yes. Yeah. So that's what it was talking about. Okay. Like, so I love, I love you. Just said the last line now. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, unto Shasura. Bottom line. Call it the last line. I'm talk, talking about the bottom line. You know, the bottom line doesn't just mean the last thing you say. The bottom line is an accounting term. That means when all is said and done, when you add all the, 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 the uh, profits and you subtract all the debt, so what do you end up with? The net. The net. So the Unta Shashura, the bottom line is like this. Probably the most essential knowledge that I need in order to be an effective person is is self-knowledge. I need to know who I am. And that has to be very clear to me. And when I have that, when I have self-knowledge, when I know who I am, even if I mess up, I'll get back on track because I'll be able to identify that something is an aberration. In other words, how do I calibrate? How do I even know what's consistent? Like, oh, that was consistent with who I am. Let me do more of that. And what's an aberration? And I need to correct and get back on track. How do I know? I mean, what's my point of reference? I have to have a point of reference. So the point of reference is I have to have a sense of self. A sense of self tells me um, is this the kind of behavior that someone like me should be doing? or it's not. And if it's not, I can admit it and say, let me do more of the types of things that are a true reflection of who I really am. And that, that gets me back on course. But if I don't have a sense of self, it's very, very hard. First of all, to know the right thing, but also what I was referring to earlier is if I don't have a really strong sense of self, it's really hard to not dig myself in deeper when I've already gone off course. Because if I don't have a sense of self, I went off course, so that becomes my new sense of self. I mess up one time. Instead of facing the pain of being ashamed, I rationalize. You know what it means to rationalize? Rational lies. It's consistent, you know, with a certain logic internally, in its own bubble. It's rational. Until you compare it to, you know, the rest of reality, then you realize it's a little pocket of absurdity. Like, yeah, it has its own internal logic. Well, That's what I do because that's what I do. I guess that's a truism. Yeah, that's what I do because that's what I do. But objectively, that's not such a a strong argument. How about saying, that's what I do, but that's not who I am. And I can identify that as such, and I can correct myself. So the concept of an identity is crucial. I need to know who I am, In order to be able to measure whether any behavior was successful or not successful. Whether it got me closer to my mission and my goal in life. Or if it was a distraction that drew me away from my goal in life. And that's why when it comes to parenting. Our children need to have an identity. Their first identity is a borrowed identity. They get their identity from a sense of belonging to their family. Children... At first, they have a, a borrowed identity. And that's, that's what adolescence is when the child starts to get their own identity. That's why there's always adolescent rebellion, even in the best circumstances. It's healthy, it's necessary, because that's when a child starts to find their own identity outside of the family. And then hopefully what happens is after they figure out who they are as an individual outside of the family, they, they can align that with, everything that they are as a member of the family, and the two can not only coexist, but they each complement each other. It's, they're, they're mutually beneficial. Um, but the whole, the whole point of Chinuch, we could say, is to teach a child who he or she is. And everything else sort of goes under that greater category. Identity. You have to know who you are. Okay, so anyways, we have this book which is about the Jewish people going into the lowest spiritual uh, bankruptcy possible. They were at the 49th gate of impurity before they were redeemed. At the last moment, they were at the precipice of spiritual extinction and they were snatched back at the last moment and then they were very quickly brought to the highest of spiritual heights. They were They they experienced mass revelation, the, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So um, it's, it's, this is all what's happening in the book of, of, of Shmois, the book of Exodus. They're, they're good, they, go, they go to the lowest of the low in slavery, then they're brought to the highest of the high, they were redeemed, they experience miracles, they experience the giving of the Torah, then they build a sanctuary in, in, in the desert in order that that revelation can continue and be grounded and, 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 and persist in this physical world. So it's like a real drama of they fell low, they were pulled out, and then they were placed at the highest heights. And, and the name of that book is Shmoyz, is names. Why? Makes perfect sense now. Because <laughs> how do you make sure that even if you fall into the lowest levels of spiritual bankruptcy you will still be redeemable. You still will be intact to heed the call of redemption when it is heard. Is as long as you know who you are. If you know who you are, if you know your name, if you know who you are, you know your identity. And sometimes, like I said, it can be a borrowed identity. You know whose child you are. Or you know whose chassid you are. But Knowing who you are on some level, that is, the, that is the key to being able to make it out of all the perils, all the challenges of life and coming to the highest places where you can actually reach your, reach your goal, reach your, you know, fulfill your purpose of being, uh, of being in this world but it all, it's all hinging on identity. When you have Schmeiß, when you have these are the names of the Jews, when they have identity, when they know who they are, and by the way, I should mention, names are different than numbers because you can identify things with numbers as well, but numbers are impersonal. Names are personal. So it's not just an identity. There's a vantage point from which numbers are important as well. That's a different discussion. Why it is? It Actually, Rashi says on the first verse there that uh, it's like Hashem uh, brings out the stars and has names for them and numbers for them. So there's names and there's numbers. Numbers is also a thing. The, without getting into that whole side conversation, numbers are also important because everybody has to count. One man, one vote, everybody counts. Everyone counts equally from the, from the biggest to the smallest, everybody counts. That's what numbers mean. Numbers has a certain advantage as well. But right now we're talking about names. Names mean how you are an individual because a number is uh you know it's a it's a label it's uh you know the Fidek Rebbe writes about when he went to prison they told him uh that you're now prisoner t- 26818 I think that was the Yarlik number Yarlik is a tag like you go to a furniture store it's a Russian word it means like a tag like a label so they gave him a number you're tw- you're 26818 now I believe that's uh, what the Friedrich Rebbe's number in jail was so if you're only a number, and that's a complaint that people have sometimes, I'm just a number, I went to the DMV, they treated me like a number. Um, but a name means an identity, a unique identity. So I'm special, I have a personality, I have a, I have a unique mission in the world, I have something to contribute that nobody else is contributing, I have my own style, my own personality. I have my own gifts and my own challenges. But that idea of a name, of an identity, a story, you know, a unique narrative, who I am, what I'm here for, that is the foundation to everything and that makes possible the whole journey and being able to go through all the, the whole range, the whole, the whole range from, from the very difficult challenges like, like Mitzrayim to the, awesome revelations like splitting of the sea, like Sinai, like uh, the building of the sanctuary. It, it all it all depends on names. It's all about knowing who I am. Okay, anyways, that's all uh, I wanted to share with you. So if anyone wanted to, Questions, answers, comments, whatever, complaints, we'll do that. I'll repeat everything because we have the camera here. And we have the zoom. We have two cameras. We have the camera and the zoom. So I'll repeat everything everyone says, so it'll be heard. Question about motivational charts? Eh, they're not terrible, you know. Uh, motivational charts can be fun. Um, it's a way of quantifying something that could be abstract. Um, It's easier to look at something, a chart. You know, it's easier to look at a chart and recognize progress. Sometimes when you're having progress, especially it's something that's like a Tikkun amidus type thing, like being nice, sharing with your siblings. It's kind of abstract. So how do you quantify it? Like if I became more of a mensch, like I hope that over the past year I am more of a mensch than I was a year ago. It's very hard to quantify so sometimes a chart is just a way of quantifying, giving me something to look at where, oh, that little bar is going up, right? So in, in that sense, I think it's good. It's like a muscle. Why do we use a muscle? You know, when we use metaphors, <clears throat> when we learn Torah. Because sometimes we're learning abstract concepts and it's too abstract. So we give a muscle. we give like a physical example of that thing and it makes it more tangible. So think of the chart as a muscle. The chart isn't the accomplishment. The, the, whatever you're doing is the accomplishment. The chart is a tangible reflection or manifestation of the thing that you've been doing. And why is that important? Because you know it's like I just when I came here, I came from my Tanya class in the Five Towns. We have a Tanya class weekly. Tanya class Mondays at eleven o'clock. If you ever in Five Towns for uh, Mondays at eleven, you can jo- uh, join the Tanya class. It's so. Oh, really? It's all my stuff? Recycled? <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> oh, really? <laughs> At the Lakewood. Oh, yeah. it's Garrari's Gurari's tiny class in Lakewood. Okay, excellent. So we have to, what, what day, where, where and when is that? What? Tuesdays. Tuesdays? What time? Um, nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. So if you're in Lakewood, Times River, you can go to uh, Mrs. Gurari's tiny class. Um, so in, in if you're in five towns, Mondays, 11 a.m. So we were just learning chapter six we were learning about the idea of lishmav, doing things for the sake of serving Hashem. So somebody was asking me like, well, what does it mean if you're doing it for the sake of Hashem? Are you doing it, are you doing it? What, it, what does it mean you're really doing it for Hashem? So I said, you know, we don't serve Shulchan orach; we serve Hashem. But how do we know what Hashem wants? Because it's written in Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> you understand the distinction. Are you serving the Shulchan Aruch, or are you serving Hashem? And the way you know what Hashem wants is that He was kind enough to make it clear for us in Halacha, in Shulchan Aruch. So that's, or a parallel concept is, when I daven, I'm not davening to my sither or the minion. <laughs> or, uh, or the shul, I'm davening to Hashem, but I'm using the minyan, I'm using the shul, I'm using the siddur as tools in order to direct my prayers to Hashem. And the same thing with the chart. Sometimes what happens is they start serving the chart, it becomes all about the chart. And what it does is it becomes an extrinsic motivator. An extrinsic motivator means where the value of the task becomes supplanted by some other value. Like, I'm not valuing the intrinsic value of what I'm doing. I'm valuing the fact that it's on a chart. So I know this might sound a little bit like a subtle idea, but it's not. And if you can grasp it, you can convey it. The chart is not the accomplishment. The value that you have been... Displaying through your behavior is the accomplishment. So the sharing your toys with your siblings or the putting your Backpack away when you come home or the getting your homework done before Supper that was the accomplishment the chart is just a physical representation of the accomplishment And it sounds like a subtle idea and and you know what much of the stuff that we study in the course is subtle and it's conceptual and Um, it's, it's kind of abstract, but I think it makes a huge difference. There are so many little unspoken messages that you as a mother will convey that you don't even realize, you know, micro expressions, facial expressions, vocal tone, there's so many things that you convey, you don't even realize you're conveying it, all depending on how you see the situation. So when you realize that the chart is not the goal, it's just a way, a fun way of making a physical representation of our goal, the way you're going to talk about the chart is going to be different. The way you get excited about the chart is going to be different. You're not going to turn the chart into I don't want to say a getchka, but, (laughs) you know, it's like, ultimately, yeah, it is, it can be a getchka because ultimately, why are we teaching our children any values? Because we believe this is what Hashem wants. So ultimately, Anything we're doing in Chinuch is about serving Hashem better. Not about serving the chart. The chart is just giving us a way of seeing in a very, um, with our five senses, something that's very uh, relatable. Taking something abstract, like like Avediz Hashem, and it's all Avediz it Hashem. Putting your backpack away when you come home is Avediz Hashem. And sharing your toys is Avediz Hashem. Getting your homework done before supper is Avediz it Hashem. It's all Avediz it Hashem. And the chart is just a way of, of uh, well, well, it's called a chart for a reason, of charting what we've done. Or you know, maybe put another way, the map is not the terrain. The map is not the terrain. Okay. What about the idea when their band gave coins when, when their kids would learn by heart? Or learn- giving uh, prizes? No. Yeah, it's coins, yeah. I mean, that's, you're saying specifically coins or any prize? I, I don't know. As far as what I remember hearing is that Specifically, yeah, money. money. Yeah. That's a whole other discussion why money is so important. Money is a very powerful tool. Uh, actually, didn't we speak about yeah. that? The Hanukkah. We spoke about it in Hanukkah the, in the Mantra Chizik group. We spoke about why money is such an important gift. So I, I'm not going to repeat that whole thing. But yeah, money... Uh, is, uh, I'll give you the 30 second version But money is always an educational experience Because you can't do anything with the money itself Once you give a kid money There's a lot of stuff that has to happen afterwards They have to calculate meiser Or chaymish Then they have to figure out with the meiser Where they're going to give it Or the chaymish And then with the 80-90% that they keep What are you going to do with it? Are you going to buy svarim? Are you going to buy lollipops? What are you going to do with the lollipops? Sit under your covers and eat them all by yourself? Or make a Shabbos party? So money is, is always educational because it creates, you know, it puts the ball in your court. It's very empowering. It makes you have to, to think. The Friedrich Rebbe with the money he got from Mishnayis, he started a Gemach. It's <laughs> a little kid. What did he do with money? He made a free loan society. That he used to give loans out. So, hey, and a little kid could do that. He could, oh. could make a free loan society. But... Here's the thing, again, extrinsic extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. I could ask you a different question. I could throw the ball back in your court and I could say, um, we know that if we serve Hashem, that he's going to make the rain fall in the right time. So why do you serve Hashem? Because of Hashem are for the rain. You're going to say, I'm not a farmer, I haven't thought about the rain. Okay, but if you go to the grocery store and you buy food, (laughs) it had the rain somewhere, right? So, Or if you don't want to talk about rain, talk about any of the things that, that we just wrote in for brachas for, you know, uh, health and, 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 and children and, uh, and money, all the things that we need. So are, are we serving Hashem for those things, or are we serving Hashem because we're serving Hashem? That's an adult question. It's not even about kids. Right. So what's the answer? The answer is, we, we serve Hashem because we're serving Hashem. Now, it happens to be that the way Hashem set up the world, and by the way, we should learn the 12 Sukkim. We really should learn the 12 Sukkim. The Rebbe said there are 12 Sukkim and Maimore Hazal which serve as the, the tools for a child's inculcating a child with a worldview. And one of those is B'eresh's Bar Audits. It's one of the 12 Sukkim, not just because it's the first Pasuk in Chumash, but it's a foundational concept. What's the concept? The concept is. Not just that, for instance, that the Torah was given to me. Okay, the Torah was given to me. But then I look into the world. Uh, The world is not conducive to Torah. So what can I do? Okay, so I wanted to keep Torah, but the world doesn't let me. No. The world was created by God. In other words, the world was created as a forum. It was not created first, and then God made rules for it. God made the rules and then created the world as a forum for the expression of those rules. And if you believe that, what that means is you cannot lose out by being aligned with Hashem's will. So therefore, when you do something that's spiritually good, it will manifest on a lower level as material good. Now you can get caught up in the material blessings and say, oh, I'm doing it in order to get the material blessings. Or, like the chart discussion, the whole chart discussion, you could say, it's very similar to the chart discussion, you could say, I'm doing it because it's right. I'm doing it because it's what Hashem wants. Happens to be that the way God made His world is that when you do the right thing, things flow because the world was built for Hashem's will. And that's, by the way, what what the Rebbe would tell people all the time about, about taking on a mitzvah in order to ask for a bracha. Like, what is that? Like, it's like, barter what it was like uh what do you call it quid pro quo so you give a little bit of you know a new hider mitzvah a new and then you get to get you know some brachas no that's not it's not what it is the rebbe would say this all the time that the mitzvah is the tzinor is the pipeline in order to bring down hashem's blessings so, it's not, I'm going to trade you, I'm going to do a little more from kite, and then Hashem will give me some money because that's what I like. No. I'll give you a little Shabbos and you give me a little Parnasa. No. It's Shabb- Shmiras Shabbos is the tinner for a bracha in Parnasa. And. we just seeing the video. Bunny starts first. That's why it says First the children bring the It's a famous Vav tish- Oh, you were saying, why well, this was uncanny. <laughs> I was asked, did I set up the video that was playing when you were coming out of the oil? No, I did not set it up. <laughs> 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 but it was it was Vav Tishrei where the Rebbe was speaking about about Chana and about the, the brachas of, of children how Elcona was telling Chana, don't worry, you have me. She said, no, I, I, need, I need a child. And the Rebbe was speaking there very emotionally about children being the greatest bracha. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have that. Some of us thought yeah. Oh, really? Guess I guess everybody came out at a different I time. Nata, uh, Nata. Oh, yeah. I, I saw the story and push off the of the river, the, of the, river, of the, river, the the and the baby was crying. The baby was crying? Everybody saw yeah. education-related <laughs> stuff. Everyone went to the same place? <laughs> <laughs> the, more than one video? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Everyone got chinuch messages. Okay. Yeah. And on the way out, is about the love to yeshiva. Oh. <laughs> and, and about it's wild. The, the child that might not even know why he should be crying and that you have to accept the child for whatever their background is very much in line with <laughs> wow, wow, everybody got strong messages, okay what else? Mm-hmm. What I think it's amazing. She will be great as adult. But they're focusing on positive at this age. I'm not sure that she's two. Is she getting... So, remember, the question was with a two-year-old. I, I, let me try to restate your question. Like with a two-year-old, how do you give them a lot of positivity when ultimately, you didn't say this at all, but I'm going to rephrase your question in my own words. Two-year-olds, you're constantly just chasing them to keep them from doing crazy things like putting their fingers in the electrical outlet or, you know, jumping off the high chair. Yeah. So it feels like there's a lot of, like, discipline, and where's the love? So here's what I want to tell you. We speak, we speak about this at length in the course. I think in, in lesson three, we talk about the paradigm of the four Ps. The, the first one, the most important one, is parenting. And parenting we define as the transmission of values. We should not them live teaching your children what ideas are important enough to live by. And that's what parenting is. Parenting is teaching values. And then we said that there's three other Ps that parents also have to do, but none of them are parenting. We said there's policing, providing, and protecting. So when the kids are fully grown, you may only do parenting. But when they're young, especially when they're really little, you're doing a lot of policing, providing, protecting. Policing is when one kid's hitting another kid, you gotta stop them. You don't just let them do it. Providing is make sure they're fed, make sure they're clothed, make sure they have a safe place to sleep at night. Also, emotional needs you're providing for, giving them attention, giving them hugs. And then there's protecting protecting is uh, they want to run into the street you don't let them so here's the thing police and providing protecting there's a lot of it that goes on when they're little because you're protecting them from themselves essentially and thank God you know two year- olds are made out of rubber because every time they fall they somehow they bounce up unless you gasp and then they realize they should cry but if you just smile then they, they don't even think they got hurt but Here's the thing, there's a lot of policing, providing protecting that goes on for little, little kids, but that's, don't think of that as a contradiction to the fact that you're already teaching them values, that you're already parenting them, and that you're parenting them with love and with positivity. And I think you should think about the ways in which you are parenting, meaning teaching values, even to a two-year-old. the Rebbe spoke about teaching values to, to infants. And that's one of the things that Rebbe spoke about. A lot of people ask, you know, they have questions about, isn't this excessive? The idea about the, the stuffed animals, the teddy bears. Don't use the behemoth right? Even though it's so popular and uh, so beloved. But the Rebbe said, use kosher animals. What's the idea there? The idea there is that even a pre-verbal child is receptive to Chinuch, and they're absorbing everything. And the fact, that Rebbe said, and the, when the Rebbe said it, it wasn't even so much yet the consensus, the scientific consensus, although today it is. The spoke about prenatal education, that, that children are influenced by things that go on while they're still in the womb. And the Rebbe said, that's why you put up the shiramalis when they're born. Not just put up the shiramalis card at the house when they come home, but you put it up in the hospital. First of all, the Rebbe said, it calms down the mother. But another thing is that when the child is born, they're born into this place of purity and automatically they're absorbing it. They're absorbing everything. Think about that, how much a child, a newborn is absorbing. So you have to realize that there's a lot of parenting going on with a one-year-old and a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And, 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 that, and in, in some ways, even more parenting. In some ways, even more parenting because you think about like a teenager, they're set already. What they know about the world is pretty much set and you're hoping maybe you'll have one last crack to give them like a profound message that may influence them, but pretty much their worldview is set. A baby is learning everything about life. So think about that fact that everything you do with them is an opportunity to teach them values. So what you sing to them about, um, what you put around their crib, um, even if you think they can't understand it, what you talk about with them. And when you make brachas, you make brachas out loud so they hear the words. And uh, everything that you're doing around them is education. So when you realize that you're doing so much parenting and so much educating, I think you're not going to feel so much that all oh, I do all day is keep her from putting her fingers in the sockets. Yeah, you also keep her from keep putting her fingers in the sockets. But you're also doing a ton of parenting. You should realize it. I think you said it so well when like, you differentiate the cheese. Like, it's, it's in a separate category. Like, actually, you are taking care of it, but that's called policing. Like, right. It's, it's, it's a very clear, right. Like, separate categories. It does, but it's policing. Yeah, yeah, what else? Well, uh, maybe let's do one more uh, quick uh, wrap up. Prizes, Prizes, so, I I mean, I I thought I said it clearly enough, but let me say it more clearly. A prize is not an extrinsic reward. A, A prize is the physical manifestation of the spiritual attainment. You think I'm speaking gobbledygook and I'm just, you know, playing word games? Let me explain it very clearly. The fact that when we do Torah mitzvahs and Hashem makes it rain in its time is not why we do mitzvah. mitzvahs. It's, the fact is that it's a, a spiritual attainment which is becoming this gashem that is becoming manifest in the physical world. Because Hashem set up the world in such a way. We, as parents, sometimes step in and we want to demonstrate for our children how, when you do the right thing for its own sake, there are residual physical benefits. So, we're demonstrating that for them. So, you know, the Fidek Rebbe once said, an Indic of Yomtif is a Gleichesach. A Yomtif of an Indic is Nishken Gleichesach. I'll say it in English. A turkey on Yomtif is a beautiful thing. A Yomtif on a turkey. Is not a beautiful thing. He wasn't talking about Thanksgiving, by the way. That wasn't the point. The point, no. No, it has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. His point was to celebrate Yom Tif and you want to have nice food. Ah, that's beautiful. Because Yom Tif is itself beautiful. And now you're reflecting it physically by having nice food. But to do the reverse, you're having nice food. Ah, that's my Yom <laughs> You understand the difference? One is I'm physically manifesting the fact there's something spiritually valuable going on. That's the good way. The other way is I'm isolating the physical thing by itself, and that itself becomes my cause for celebration. So I'm celebrating what? That I'm eating turkey. No, no, no. I'm making a yomtv out of the turkey? No, that's not what I do. I eat the turkey because it's yomtv. Don't reverse the cause and effect. So the kid's excited because he has money? No. He's excited because he learned a Mishnah b'alpeh, and part of the way we show that excitement being manifest on a physical level that even the body and the animal soul can relate to is, we give them money. It's like a Sudha's Mitzvah. It's like a Sudha's Mitzvah. Right, but sometimes people, like, the higher, the older they get, everybody has to compete with all the prizes they got the younger. They, they, yeah, but the problem like, is that there's th- no, the, end. There's no <laughs> end when and they... Just, Th- that's they when they make the prize the main thing. And then you're right, then it's not enough, it's never enough, they need a 10-speed bike and they need a scooter and they, because they made the They're prize the like, getchka anyway. And the point is that if you do it the way I'm describing, eventually you'll wean them off the prizes because they won't need it because they'll realize, look, the prize was just a way of showing, of demonstrating even to my lower senses that this is a beautiful thing. But it's not what makes it a beautiful thing. It's like the Baal Shem Tov's uh, about Shabbos, why we eat nice food on Shabbos. He said there was a prince on an island with savages, and he got a letter from his father. And he was so happy, he wanted to read the letter from his father. But he wanted to make it you know, like a public ceremony, but there were savages, and the savages wouldn't even understand. He didn't know, they didn't know the greatness of the king. So he gave them food and drink and gave them a nice party. And while they were uh, partying, because they had a nice buffet, he whipped out the letter from his father and he read it. So the Baal said that every Shabbos, the king sends us, our father, the king sends us a letter. Shabbos is the letter. It's a communication from, from our loving father, the king. But the body doesn't realize that that's exciting. So you give the bodies, you know, shmalt herring and uh, you give it some, some nice brisket, whatever it is that the body gets excited about, but that's not why it's Shabbos. That's not what Shabbos is. That's just a way of involving the lower self and getting it on the same page with the truth. So the same thing here. Like a Sudha Smitzvah I was saying. You don't learn a Masechda in order to eat a meal. You learn a masahta because it's Geshmak to learn a Masechda and it's Geshmak to serve Hashem and it's Geshmak to have and uh as a way of involving our lower selves. So you also, you make a meal to show that we're incorporating the body, the animal soul. But that's, you don't learn the Masechda in order to have the meal. And same thing with all these prizes. The prizes are a physical manifestation of something that's already valuable on its own. And if you treat it like that, then you will wean them off of the prizes. But if you treat it and because you believe that really the only reason a kid... It really comes down to cynicism. If you believe, if you're cynical and you believe the only reason a kid would learn Toyota is in order to get a prize, then that's the message they'll get. And then they'll only learn Toyota in order to get a prize. And then every year it's going to have to be a bigger and bigger prize. Until finally there's hyperinflation and we can't keep up with their taste in prizes. But if you teach them that these things in and of themselves, are valuable attainments. And they're so valuable that we're going to also include some physical aspect of celebration. Now you've done a very beautiful thing. You've show- what have you taught them? You've taught them that really the spiritual and the physical are, are aligned. You've taught them that when they do the right thing, that it'll ultimately work out for them. You know, like I was telling you before, the Rebbe's brachas often were coupled with asking someone to take on a new mitzvah. And I said it before, but I'll say it again. What was the Rebbe doing? Like being like a, 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 a broker for Hashem? Like, oh, Hashem wants more mitzvahs and you want more money. So I'll get some mitzvahs from you and give it to Hashem. And, I, and I'll get some money from Hashem and I'll give it to you. No, that's not, what, that's not, that's not what's happening. What was happening? First of all, it's not that Hashem wants mitzvahs and you want money. Hashem also wants to give you money. Hashem wants to give you spirituality and materiality. The thing is, they go together. They go together. So when the Rebbe would tell people, you want a bracha? Take on a mitzvah. It wasn't tit for tat. It was saying, look, you have to open up the flow for blessing. When good things come down in your life, in a spiritual way because you're more connected, then good things will come down in your life also in a material way. You're gonna see blessings in your life. It's not trading one thing for another because they're not two different things. It's one thing, it's one thing. It's just two levels of experiencing it. So the chart is a low level, but we use the chart because we, we are souls and bodies. And when you're in a body, It helps to see a little uh, star getting put on the poster because it makes it more relatable. But the main thing is that the child should start from a very early age to see that the excitement is in the attainment itself. What are you excited about? And by they're learning from you what to be excited about. What are you excited about? And by transference, what are they excited about is about the attainment, that they've done something. They've done something that gives Hashem nachas and because Hashem made a world where the spiritual and the physical are aligned so when there's a good thing spiritually we make sure there's also a good thing physically Shabbos is a holy day spiritually so we make sure we eat some nice food physically but it's, it, it don't reverse the cause and effect can I ask a question? okay one more real quick yeah. um, I don't know real quick. I just need to tell me if it's, if it's a, a short answer okay Value, as you know, it's, it's important, but you're struggling with it also. Mm. Like, you can't say you give over your value. Yeah, so that's a big thing we speak about in the course about giving over your value. So the question is, what if you feel like you yourself are struggling with certain values? I'm saying with everything. We're, yeah. H30, I think everywhere like. Yeah. So how do you give over a value? Let's well, we'll you kid ask certain questions. Yeah. yeah. You Give it over yourself, like certain Amuna questions. Yeah. yeah. You're wondering Amuna yourself. questions? Like, yeah. Okay, so why don't we focus, because I want to wrap up. So why don't I focus on this one aspect of the question? Because I think this question can go many, many different ways. Let's just talk about, about Amuna questions. Um, so some people will say, we never spoke about these things when we were kids. I grew up, I'm from, I'm okay, and I don't have the answers to these questions. No, so so oh, I, no, know, Some people, I didn't know. say you say that. I'm saying some people say that. Right. Okay, A lot of people say that. And... An answer to that is, okay, you may be okay, you may not need the answer, but what if your child needs the answer? Now you need the answer, (laughs) because if your child needs the answer and you don't have it for them, who are they going to go ask? And I don't know what's worse, if they find nobody to answer or they find someone smart to answer, right? Smart, scare quotes. Um, Parents need to be deeply educated. There's no way around it, especially mothers. And one of the things that I really, really tried to impress upon upon mothers is that because women, for practical reasons, are the primary educators of our children and their basic beliefs about life and about Yiddishkeit are formed in childhood, really mothers, even more than fathers, have to have a very solid education in Amuna. Because this is what the children are going to ask. So if there's questions that are beyond you, that's fair. That's fair. But that's fine. That's fair. Well, I said, that's fair. That's fair. That's OK. I mean, like, if you're going to say there are certain questions beyond, but to say that fundamentally Amuna questions are beyond me, that you can't say. You can't pass the buck. Um, so you mentioned you're going to Tanya class every week in, in, in Lakewood, okay? So you're doing something. You're doing something about it. Right, but then there's certain questions that I wonder, right? and then, Okay. I mean, and certain things, like, we just know, like, it's God, it's right, we'll never know. Right. And, and then, like, I'm so just wondering, like, certain things. So you are responsible, even if, and I know this isn't you, but I, there are many people who are like this. Even if you're you're the type of person, you say, I'm <laughs> not you know, I'm a simple, straightforward, straight shooter. You know, I have these questions, and I let them go, and I, and I move on. Okay, that may work for you. But if your child has these questions, you have to have something intelligent to answer. So I would encourage you that there's, if there's anything that you're struggling with on a conceptual level, to seek out answers for it as a parent. Meaning... We, we know this about parenting. Parenting in general forces us all to be a lot more religious than, than we would be on our own. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. It, when, it, when it comes to practical mitzvah observance, when it comes to minhagim, when it comes to any, even little, little things, where we, oh, but the, for the kids, for the kids, we have to make sure. Okay, and, and that's the way Hashem set it up. It's also, when it comes to Hashgafa, being a parent Forces you to be on the top of your game when it comes to these deep ideas and there are things that you could have let go You could have lived without an articulate answer But because you're a parent now you're responsible to go educate yourself Yeah, so that's why by the way I say that really Parenting like a parenting course like we did. That's the tip of the iceberg really to really do parenting so you go to soulwords.org, you learn the whole Tanya, and then you learn the whole Shara betachen, then you learn all the weekly Parsha classes, because it's all parenting. It's all parenting, because anything your child may need to know from you is is parenting. So what's, what, what's some basis, what Rebbe guided us to do when we're struggling with There's a munah? You, 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 you have to be... A person has to be learning. Right, but, did it, but if it's a specifics about a isn't it... Education, education. It, 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 okay, okay. Shabbat talking is a big one. Shabbat talking is a big one. Yeah, there's certain things. But again, that, that's that's the cop out of saying, well, there's a certain level we'll, we'll never understand. Yeah, but there's so much before you get to that point. There's so much before we get to that point. Guides and helps. 100%. Yeah, I mean, Shadavitokhan's a big one. Yeshver got the famous answer that made me start the whole Shadavitokhan class. People there don't realize. but a lot of mothers that listen to it and learn it once, twice. Yeah. <laughs> Shadavitokhan is for parenting. It's every, every, every kind of mother. You don't have to be a whole big learner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the podcast music. But we have to be learning. We have to be learning. We have to be learning all the time. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up over here, and uh, we should do this again.